So open your Bibles to where? Ah, the book of Acts. We are enjoying our time together in the early chapters of the book of Acts, understanding where we were in, in church history, uh, where we are even today, and what took place on, in this special time in the life of the church, really the birthday of the church. Um, so let's open our Bibles. If you're using the one in the pew, you can open your Bible to uh, page 1080. Um, if you're using your own, you have to figure out where it is yourself. So let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We come together to, to read it and try to understand it, but we know ultimately we need you. You wrote it through your, through your servants. You help us to interpret it through your Holy Spirit. So Spirit, come and teach us what we need to know this morning, individually, but also together as a church. For we know that you've placed us together as the family of God here in this time, in this history, in this place in history. So we ask that you would make it alive for us. Help us to understand the purpose for it here today in our lives so that we may grow in our understanding of Jesus and the way the Spirit is working in our life today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the, the, the title of the message this morning is called Jesus is the message that matters. He's the message that matters, right? So we get lots of messages every day. You get messages, you know, text messages, you get emails, you get stuff on your radio, stuff on your TV, you got people talking to you at work, you got people talking to you at home. Lots of messages are coming, lots of stuff is going on, but ultimately, for our eternal life, for our salvation, Jesus is the message that matters. This is the message you have to receive. This is the message you have to understand, because it's about a person, and it's about a relationship. And it's something that's so important to us individually, but also important for the world. Because as we talked about last week, God has a strategy. It isn't just about you and me, even though we are involved in it. If we're members of his kingdom through our faith in Jesus Christ, it is about us individually, but it's also about the whole world. And we have a, a, a place in God's kingdom plan that we have to understand so that we can walk it out and we can be part of what God is doing. And what God is doing is he's bringing in a harvest of souls, of people, of men and women and boys and girls around the world. He's bringing them to himself. He's like harvesting. It's time to harvest. How do we know that? Well, in, in the gospel of Matthew, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples, in Matthew chapter 9, if you want to put a, a finger in where we are and just uh, flip over there for a moment. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, I want you to hear what Jesus says to his disciples. Jesus is walking with his disciples and he's always teaching. He's using opportunities to help them to understand what God is doing, what God is all about. Wouldn't it be nice to know? There's times in our life when we don't know what God is doing. We're saying, God, help me to understand what you're doing. So in this situation, here in verse 35, Jesus is helping them to understand what God is doing. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages. He was teaching in their synagogues. He was preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, because crowds of people were attracted to Jesus and all that was going on. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. 
Compassion, that's another word for love. He loved them. We know in John 3.16, it says, God so loved the world, he sent Jesus, right? So Jesus is here to love the crowds of people, those who have diseases, those who are sick, those who are suffering, those who are lost. So verse 36 says, when he saw those kind of crowds, those kind of people, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and they were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, so in that context, he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So again, Jesus doesn't maybe speak plainly as we're, we, we'd like him to speak plainly. Sometimes he uses an illustration or he, he talks about the birds of the, of the air or he talks about the lilies of the field or he talks about you know, things around us to help us to grasp the concepts that are spiritual concepts. There's a spiritual harvest going on. He's not talking about going out and picking the grain and making flour from it. and He's not talking about that in a physical sense. He's talking in a spiritual sense. But he uses a physical thing to help to describe it. The harvest. They understood what a harvest was. It was an agricultural uh, society, an agricultural place in which they lived. He was probably walking through fields or walking around the fields on the pathways around them. So they understood what he was talking about on on a spiritual level. Because he's looking at crowds of people He's trying to heal their diseases and to set them free from their sicknesses. And he's preaching to them about the kingdom of God. So he's harvesting. He's bringing people closer to God. And what he says to his disciples is, this harvest is plentiful. And in other words, there's plenty of people to minister to. There's plenty of people to have compassion on and to share the kingdom of God with. They're everywhere. I want you to hear that. They're everywhere. They're all around us. Like we're walking through a field of wheat. It's everywhere. It's all around us. So the harvest is plentiful. You can't say like, oh God, I don't, I don't know what to do. There's no, nobody to talk to about Jesus. That's not true. There's plenty of people to talk to about Jesus. But the workers, the people who will put in the effort to bring Jesus to them, to talk about the message of Jesus or the kingdom of God, those people are few. There's less workers than we need. And so he says in verse 38 of Matthew chapter 9, ask the Lord of the harvest, God himself, ask him to send out workers into his harvest field. So that was a message for them that day. He's kind of like directing them on how to pray. Jesus knew that the disciples would be the harvest workers But he knew that even the 12 disciples or the few that followed him were not enough for the whole world. And we know that Jesus loves the whole world. And so he says, pray that God would send forth many workers into the harvest field. What we are seeing, now flip back to the book of Acts on page 1080, book of Acts chapter 4. What we're seeing in these couple of chapters that we've covered, chapter 2 and 3 and 4 is the fulfillment of this prayer. Pray to to God. Pray to God and ask him to send forth workers. What we're seeing in Acts, in these early chapters, and throughout the book of Acts, is that the apostles, the disciples, 
were filled with a heart of compassion for people, just as Jesus was. Because God loves the world, and now God wants to love the world through them. And they were preaching the good news, and they were even doing miracles as Jesus was. Last week, we looked at the miracle of the the man that was at the gate, the crippled man that Peter and John brought forth a miracle so that God could be glorified. So the book of Acts is the answer to a prayer like that, to bring forth workers into this harvest. The apostles desired for people to know God because they knew that the heart of God, as 2 Peter 3.9 says, it says that God's heart is that none would perish, that no one would perish, but that everyone would turn to him in repentance and be born again as sons and daughters of the living God. And because there were workers, and there still are workers in the world today, you and I can be called sons and daughters of the living God. We've heard the message of Jesus. We've received salvation through his name. And we are now the sons and daughters of God. But this started at Pentecost. Since Pentecost and the power of the Holy Spirit has come, the harvesting has started and it has continued. So far, in these few chapters, in in the early chapters of the book of Acts, we've read about three harvests. But actually, it's just one continual harvest from then until now and into the future. God is continuing to desire to bring people to himself because he loves them and does not want them to perish in their sin. So there's one continual harvest taking place on the earth today, and it's the harvest of souls, of those who need to be saved through Jesus Christ, those who are harassed, those who are helpless, those who are like sheep without a shepherd. They need the message of Jesus. But in Acts 2, verse 41, in Acts 2, verse 47, and and now here in Acts 4, verse 4, whenever the disciples give the message of Jesus in the harvest, I mean, a, a harvest takes place. It's continuing to take place. People turn to God. People repent. They ask for forgiveness and they receive it. And then they are filled with the spirit of God. They're made into new creatures in Christ. In Acts 2 verse 41, 3,000 people are counted as doing that. In Acts 2 verse 47, it says daily, they were being added to daily those who were being saved. That means it started, it started and it just continued day after day as they taught as they preached, as they talked about Jesus. And here in verse 4, 4, chapter 4, verse 4, it says, but many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. So at each of these harvest events, there's a number of things going on. And if you read through these few chapters, go and, go and follow through and, and, and look for these things, there's praising going on. People are praising God. When the Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2, They were praising God in many different languages, but in languages that people could hear, no matter where they were from, they were praising God, it says. This is what drew people to listen, to say, what's going on? In in that situation, even though they were praising God, there was some pushback. I'm going to talk about that because we're going to see that throughout the book of Acts. We're going to see that in Christian history. There was some pushback. They were praising God. They were bringing people to Jesus, but there was some pushback. Initially, people made fun of them. 
In Acts 2, verse 13, it says, people made fun of them. They thought they were drunk. They thought they were foolish. They thought they were acting ridiculous. But in Acts 4, 1, what happens is very different than that. It's not just being ridiculed or made fun of for their praising of God, for their thanking of God for salvation in Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 4, it gets more serious. They're arrested. It says, the priests and the captains of, of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were still speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So verse 3, they seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put them in jail. So now we've sort of upped the ante, Right? At first, it was just being made fun of. You guys are fools. You guys are ridiculous. You act ridiculous because of Jesus. You act ridiculous because of your love for God. You know, maybe some intimidation comes across there. Now it got even more serious. They involved the police, right? They're going to bring, bring these people in and put them in jail. And threats were given to them. As we read through this passage, if you look at chapter, chapter 4, verse 18... It says, they called them in again and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They were, they were really pressuring them to stop this message, to shut this thing down. But there's this one consistent name that keeps coming up in these, in these chapters and will come up all throughout Christian history. Keeps coming up every time there's a harvest event. It's because of the name of Jesus being proclaimed. That Jesus is the son of God who was sent to save the world. That he died for us. That we may have forgiveness of sins. That we might become the children of God through that forgiveness. And live with God our father forever. The message of Jesus or the name of Jesus has already been proclaimed 14 times since the beginning of Acts. Just in these first four chapters. His name is brought up, but not just his name, but the message which is attached to his name. His message is clear in in Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39. Repent and turn to God in Jesus' name. He will forgive all of your sins. He will give you his Holy Spirit. It is his promise, and he will always keep that promise from generation to generation. So every day, this message, this message that Jesus could forgive your sins, this message that he could give you his spirit and that you could live eternally with God, this is the message that was being talked about. This is the message that was being taught through the apostles' teachings. And as a result of this message, every day, people were turning to God. People were being born again of the spirit of God as sons and daughters of the living God. Now, last week I mentioned we talked about chapter 3, the healing of the crippled beggar at the gate. And we saw that the miracle was not just for that one person, that one crippled person, who for him it was a great miracle. He'd been crippled for 40 years, so it was awesome. God loves him as an individual. And God used him to bring about a salvation for thousands of other people. And who knows throughout the ages how many other people because of that story. You see, God strategically plans the harvest events. God knows what he's doing. He desires to bring attention to Jesus. 
It's called glorifying Christ, bringing him up in a conversation, bringing him up in a situation, and seeing that he is alive and well in the world today. God is, after all, looking to save as many people in the world as will turn to him. He's looking to save the whole world if they'll all turn their hearts towards him through his son, Jesus Christ. And God is always working on several layers at once. And sometimes that's confusing to us because we're just human and we've got little human brains inside of our heads, right? But God is always working on multiple levels. He's working on the personal level with you and with you and with you. He's working on some personal things that are really just about you. But then he's working maybe in your family. He's working also in your, in your neighborhood, in your community. He's working also in your church. He's working also where you work or where you go to school. God's working on all these levels at once because he's God. And he can and he understands it. I was thinking about this a lot this week. Thinking about all these levels of things that are, that are proof of life right, in us, right? Some of them we are involved with, or we're aware of, we're conscious of, but some of them we're not really conscious of unless we draw attention to it. For instance, the beating of your heart. Put your hand on your heart. I don't know if you can feel it there, but it's there. We're not constantly thinking about it being there. We're not making it happen, right? It's happening. It's taking place so that we would have life, that, that our circulation continues, that we continue to be able to breathe and, and make oxygen and, and oxidate our body. But that is the kind of thing that's happening all the time in the spiritual realm. God's heart is always beating. Whether you put your hand on it and feel it or not, whether you check your pulse or not, God's always working. In fact, Jesus said this, my father's always working. You're just not always aware of it. Your attention isn't always drawn to it. But he's always working. And so it's exciting to know that God has a strategic plan for the whole world. And it's on multi-levels. Billions of plans. Because there's billions of people. And then there's people groups. And then there's nations. And there's ethnic groups. And there's, there's, there's and God's working all the time. To draw them to himself through Jesus Christ. This is his plan for mankind. He's the savior of the whole world, not just of you and me individually. As Americans, sometimes we think, oh, it's just about me. Our society has trained us to think it's just about me. It's all about me. But it's not. I need you to be biblical thinkers and to think it's about the whole world. And God has a plan and a strategy for this whole world. So we need to get that right focus. Because sometimes we get distracted, even in miracles. You know, it's not about the miracle. It's about the message of Jesus to save the world. And maybe he uses a miracle to get people's attention. To bless that individual who received that miracle, but to get the attention of the whole crowd. Because that's what happened here in this situation. 5,000 people heard about this miracle. They were put into jail overnight. And I was thinking about the timing of that. I'm like, well, why, did, you know, why was it that time of day, God? Why didn't they have time to take care of Peter and John you know, in, the, in the court system that day? But overnight, guess how many people could tell other people that there was a great miracle that day? 
They could go home and they could say, you won't believe what happened at the temple. You know that guy that's been crippled for 40 years? He's now jumping and leaping and praising God. We saw it happen. And it was done in the name of Jesus. Have you heard the name of Jesus? Do you remember that guy that used to go around in the countryside and he used to preach and he used to teach and he used to do miracles? Well, he's not there, but he's there. These guys that were with him are bringing him up in this situation. And these guys just reach down. And, and so this story could be told all night long, all over Jerusalem. So the fact that 5,000 people, maybe they all weren't there at that temple gate at that moment, but it only took a little while until they heard. They heard the message. And it wasn't about the miracle. It was about the message from the messengers, from the witnesses, from Peter and John. Because they had been with Jesus. So God knows this. He uses things strategically to draw people to himself. I want to read to you in um, chapter 3. So you can sort of just turn one page over. Actually, you don't have to turn the page. If you're in the blue Bible, you're on the right page. All right? On page 1080. In chapter 3, starting in verse 12. This is... um, All the people were astonished. This is sort of the scene right after this man was healed. When they saw him jumping and leaping and praising God. It says in verse 12. When Peter saw this taking place in the temple. And he saw the crowd, right? He said to them, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? I love that. Why does this surprise you? Oh, I don't know. Because a man is now jumping around who was crippled for his whole life. That's a surprise, you know. But he says, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or our own goodness, we made this man walk? Why are you looking at us that way? It's it's not about us. We didn't do this. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. So here we are. It's all about Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he, was, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released, released to you. So he's, he's rehearsing Easter, Holy Week, the trial, everything that took place. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. This is the message. God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. And it is by faith in the name of Jesus that this man, whom you see and know, was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. What a great defense, right? Here's Here's what's taking place. Here's what's happening. Just so you understand, it's not about us, it's about Jesus. This is the message that has to consistently come from our mouths, from the mouths of God's people on the earth today. It's about Jesus. It's not about miracles, it's about Jesus. Miracles do happen, by the way, I'm not discounting miracles, but the miracle is is to get the attention on Jesus. If it goes to any man or any woman or any group of people, it's wrong. There's something not right about that. The glory goes to God. The message is that Jesus did this. Not so-and-so or this person or that ministry. Jesus did this. When God raised his servant up, 
It says in verse 26 of that same chapter, he sent him to you to bless you by turning each of you away from your wicked ways. If you accept his kindness and receive his forgiveness, you will be saved. God is awesome. So Peter's in the middle of this message. You've got to read the whole of chapter 3. But he's in the middle of this message when, boom, chapter 4 happens. Now, again, the chapters weren't there originally. It's for us so that we can find our way through the Bible. This, this message is taking place. He just finishes saying, you know, he's come to bless you by turning each of you to your wicked ways. He's in the middle of that sentence. And the priests and the captain of the temple guards, verse, verse 1 of chapter 4, And the Sadducees, they come up to them while they're still speaking to the people, and they are greatly disturbed. They're greatly disturbed, which means they're not a little upset. Try to think about being greatly disturbed. There's lots of bad words that might come to your mind. We'll use the word fiery or furious. They were furious. They were fiery about this. They were upset. They were greatly disturbed by the message that the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming. Now, the word proclaiming, it's not a word we use too often, but basically the word proclaiming means making public. They were making the message that Jesus had been raised to life and that he is the savior of the world. They were making that message public. And this made those people furious. They were mad because, if you remember the story of Easter at Easter week, if you go back into the Gospels, these are the people who paid off the guards who were at the tomb of Jesus when he rose again. They paid them and bribed them to be quiet about it and to lie and say the disciples came and stole the body and hid it away somewhere. And now... Through Jesus, anyone who would turn to God in the name of Jesus will be saved by faith in him because he's alive. They were furious because their little, let's hide this, let's, let's, let's make sure that nobody knows about this, didn't work. Now, miracles were taking place in the name of Jesus. And if you look at this chapter, verse, verse, um, chapter 4, If you look at verse 12, will you look at that with with me on, on, on page 1080? This is the message that made them angry. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. This made them mad. Because their whole religious system is built on, you know, works and doing the right things and not doing the wrong things and making sure you are holy and pure enough so that God would take you one day into his eternity. Now it's, it's been replaced. Their system has crumbled. Their lie is no more. The truth is coming out. And the truth is that Jesus saves because of his grace and his mercy, not because of works, so that anyone could boast And say, oh, I made my way to heaven. I was good enough. I made it in here. No. That whole system is gone now. That system that they built, which was corrupt, was gone. And now it was 
purely about Jesus, the Son of God, who loved the world enough to lay down his life for us. But I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. Look back at verse 8. I want you to understand the, the, the human side of this, right? That's the, that's the spiritual, the, the God work. But look at, the, look at what God is doing through the humans involved in this story. For instance, in verse 8 of chapter 4, then Peter, and, and there's this description of Peter at this point, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. This is a key phrase in that sentence. Because we say a lot of things, not always filled with the Holy Spirit. We just say stuff. We got opinions, we got ideas, we got strategies of our own. But Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke and said, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed... So they're, they're, trying to, they're trying to get these guys for doing something kind. I, I love that, you know, because Christians should be known for their kindness. And there really are no laws about kindness, right? That we can go out there and be as kind as we want to be, right? In the name of Jesus. And see what God can do with that. Don't go out there and be mean and rude and nasty. Because you're giving Christ a bad name. When you do that, don't be rude to the waiter or waitress. Don't be rude to the guy at the gas station. He didn't make it cost that much. You know, be kind. Show kindness in the name of Jesus. Show kindness when you don't feel like being kind. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you to be kind. It is, after all, a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, and self-control. These are all fruits of the Spirit. So as the Holy Spirit fills our lives, these things should spill out. So when, when Peter was full of the Holy Spirit, he was able to speak these words. And it's important for us to understand that, that God will use our words, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He'll use our acts of kindness, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to bring the attention to Jesus, to lift up the name of Jesus, not just his name, but his message. He's here to save He's here to give you life. He's here to forgive your sins. He's here to make you a whole new person. You're not too damaged. You're not too bad. You're not too evil. God can change you and make you new again and make you in the image of Jesus. So here's the message of Jesus that he now speaks to to these leaders, right? Because he's saying, you brought us in here because we we were acting kind towards a crippled man, you know? Uh, And he says in verse 10 of chapter 4, then know this. I love this because now Peter's schooling these teachers and scribes and Pharisees and holy people. Know this. Know this. Jesus healed this man. And salvation is found in no one else. That's basically what he says in, in, chapter, in, in, in chapter 4, verse 10. You got to know this. Jesus healed this man, and salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name that can save us than the name of Jesus. Look at, look at verse 13. 
because Peter's spoken. Now, Peter, think about it. Peter's the criminal. Peter's the one that they brought in and put in jail. And he's before all these, you know, high and mighty people. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, these men, these schooled, holy, righteous Pharisees and Sadducees, these men were astonished. And this is, this is so key at the end of verse 13. I hope you're following along in your Bible. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That these men were different than us and than ordinary people. These, these men had been with Jesus. You see, Peter and John, filled with the Holy Spirit, were no longer afraid of the possible reaction to this radical message that Jesus is the Savior of the world. They were not afraid of being made fun of like the people on the day of Pentecost. They were not afraid of being arrested. They're not afraid of being beaten, which they will be as we continue on in the book of Acts. They're not afraid of being stoned to death, which one of their friends was stoned to death by these people. They're not even afraid of being crucified. They're not leaning on fear. They're leaning on their faith in the Savior and God of the universe, Jesus Christ. They're not leaning on their own wisdom. They're not leaning on the the things that they can understand or the things that they can control. They were ordinary, unschooled men. I love that. I love that. Because here we are in New England... We're very intellectual here in the Northeast. We have Harvard and we have MIT and we have all these great universities and these great schooled people who know so much about everything that sometimes we get intimidated and we're afraid to open our mouth and say something simple like, do you know Jesus? Do you know him? I mean, do you really know him personally? Do you know he loves you? Do you know he saved you? Do you know he wants to forgive you of all your sins? Do you know he wants to give you eternal life? Sometimes we're intimidated by those big shots, right? They're strutting around with all their degrees and all their, you know, all their schooling. We're we're intimidated by that. We should not be intimidated by that. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're filled with the Spirit of God, who is God over all that knowledge, who's God who understands things beyond our own understanding could ever reach, right? So they weren't afraid. They weren't afraid. They had been with Jesus. This is the key for you and for me. When we have been with Jesus, and he lives inside of us by his spirit, so it's hard not to be with him, but when we have taken the time to feel our heartbeat, to listen for God, to read his word, to pray, to process what he's doing in our lives personally, but also in the world around us, when we've been with Jesus and the spirit of God is rising up within us, We don't need to be intimidated by anyone or anything. We don't. We don't. I love this. Verse 17. Keep going. This is like the most awesome chapter here so far. They were told to stop, right? They were told to stop. To stop spreading this news among the people. 
This is the, the Sadducees talking amongst themselves. We've got to stop them from spreading this message among the people. We must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. It's funny, they don't even say the name of Jesus. I don't know if they're afraid of it or what, but they say, we got to tell them to stop speaking in this name. So then they called them back into the room and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Not to speak at all in the name of Jesus. Now, this is all they were doing since the day of Pentecost. They start talking to the crowds about Jesus, saying, hey, this is, this is, this is the Holy Spirit who was sent to us because Jesus has, has forgiven our sins and God is walking now with us and now we are, we are walking with him through the name of Jesus. Now they're told, don't do it at all. Don't even bring up that name. Don't even mention that name. These guys hate that name. They're afraid of that name. You have to love Peter and John's reply. Peter and John's reply is so great, right? Peter and John replied. I don't know when it says Peter and John replied, like, did they speak in unison? That would be kind of cool, right? <laughs> you know, if there were two of them and they both said, judge for yourselves, judge for yourselves, you know, like they were able to do that. I don't know. But it says Peter and John replied. Somehow, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. And verse 20. Can you see verse 20? We got verse 20? Oh, it's up there. Let's say, let's say it together. We can't help speaking about what we have seen and heard which is Jesus. They're going back to Jesus because that's what keeps coming out of their mouth, the name of Jesus. That's the thing that these guys are trying to stop. Don't talk about Jesus. Don't talk about Jesus. You can talk about anything else. You can talk about all kinds of other stuff, even, even use spiritual language, but don't talk about Jesus. Don't talk about Jesus. Does this sound familiar to you? You can say anything else. You can be crazy, you can, you, know, you, you can talk about spiritual things, you can have little crystal rocks, and you, know, you can, ooh, this is the rock for healing, and this is the rock for love. I mean, you can do all this kind of stuff, but don't talk about Jesus. That's the intimidation, right? People, he is who we have to talk about. If you've been with him, if you've, if you've allowed yourself to know him in an intimate way, in a real way, through his truth, through the word of God, you have to talk about Jesus. This is what brings about the harvest. In order for the harvest to take place, in order to help in the harvest, to be harvest workers, we have to speak about Jesus. First of all, there's five things, and then I'll be done. Oh, I've got plenty of time. All right, in order for us to make it public, to bring the message, to proclaim it, number one, you have to know Jesus. Don't try it unless you know him. There's another story in the Gospels about some guys who did that. It was bad. It ended badly. They didn't really know Jesus. They just wanted some power or something like that. You got to know him. So how do we know him? How do we know him? We spend time with him. How do we spend time with him? Well, we, we spend time in his word. We spend time in prayer. We spend time just like worshiping at his, at his feet, just, just loving him and praising him and singing to him and, and, and writing to him in our journals. And, you know, we, we just, 
we just do this. We just spend this time with him. So we got to know him. Number one, if you don't know him, you can't witness of him, right? Remember it says, they said, this is, we can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard, right? We got to know him. Number two, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit's ideas, with the Holy Spirit's strategy, with the Holy Spirit's wisdom. Not your own. Your own is no good. Not in this arena, right? Your own wisdom is way too small. Sometimes it's called foolishness. It just, it doesn't work. You need the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom. And God says, ask for it. He'll give it generously. So, so it's not like you've got to wrestle God for it. He'll give it to you in the name of Jesus. Your own ideas, your own plans, if they're not submitted to God, if they're not sort of used by God, by the Spirit to, 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 to work, then don't bother. Go back to God. Spend more time with him. Try to understand him more. But get to know Jesus and let the Holy Spirit guide you and lead you in his wisdom. You cannot, number three, you cannot compromise on this message, on his message. And his message is that salvation is found in no one else, no other name under heaven but Jesus. Oh, the world wants you to compromise on that big time. It can be Jesus and these other deities. It can be Jesus and this other stuff. No, 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 no. Clearly, chapter 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And that's the one name they don't want him to speak. That's the one thing they don't want him to teach about. Crazy, huh? So you cannot compromise Cannot compromise. It's got to be Jesus. It's got to be his message, and it's got to be about him. Can't be about you. Can't be about your church, your organization. It's got to be about him. The fourth thing is, we have to have courage. Because there are forces at work to stop the message. To say, don't say that. You can't do that. We'll throw you in jail. You got to have courage. Makes me think of Joshua, the Old Testament book. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. When God is within you, when you're spending time with him, when you know the spirit dwells within you, when you're asking for God's direction and wisdom through the spirit, when you're unwilling to compromise, you will have courage. It doesn't matter if people make fun of you. It doesn't matter if they're in authority over you. It doesn't matter if they become greatly disturbed by you, by your message about Jesus. They'll try to threaten you. They'll try to intimidate you. They'll try to warn you not to speak that name. Don't speak that name. Don't spread that message. But people, our Christian ancestors didn't give up. And things were tough back then. Our missionaries from other parts of the world haven't given up. And things are tough even now. We cannot give up. We cannot compromise. We have to have courage. And I want you to turn in your Bible now. 
If you're not there by now, you're too slow. We're on page 1080. If you look on the other you know, in the Blue Bible, if you're in the Blue Bible, Acts chapter 4, verse 23. So go down and look. There's a, there's a little break in the page, halfway down on page 1081. It says, the believer's prayer. And this is how we're going to end, because we have time for it. The believer's prayer. So after Peter and John had been threatened and told not to do this anymore, and they said, well, we can't stop talking about it. Sorry. You know, they went on their way. They were, they were threatened some more, warned. It says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, and they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, this is they, meaning the the other believers, right? The other people. When the other people heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. I love that because they didn't complain. They didn't say, oh, those guys are jerks. They just raised their voices together. They didn't go on Facebook and, you know, give them a bad review. They just raised their voices together in prayer. Get it. You heard me, right? What did they do? They raised their voices together in prayer. They didn't protest. They didn't go to the state house. They raised their voices together in prayer. This is essential. So when it says pray this way on that slide, this is the way that I'm talking about. Pray this way. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In other words, you are all powerful. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage? This is a psalm. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they take their stand. The rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. This is in their prayer. So they're quoting scripture from the psalms. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. In other words, God sovereignly orchestrated all of this so we could be forgiven of our sins. Verse 29, now, Lord, consider their threats. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant. Let's say it together. Jesus. It's that name again. It's Jesus. And verse 31. So exciting. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, wait a minute. Pentecost already happened a couple chapters ago, right? It happened again. They were filled with the Holy Spirit again. I'm confused. Doesn't the Holy Spirit already live with them? Yes. Filled them to overflowing. Filled them to the point where they're going to go out and speak the word of God boldly no matter what anyone says. This is the secret of the kingdom. We've got to know Jesus. We've got to be filled with his spirit. We have to know his message of salvation. We have to have courage, which is provided by the Holy Spirit and encouraged by God's word. And we have to pray like we believe that God is in control because he is. God is in control. Even if we get arrested, 
Even if we go to prison for it, God is in control. He wants us to speak the name of Jesus in this world because this world is harassed and helpless without Jesus. They have no hope without Jesus. And when we believe that and the heart of compassion, the heart of God drives us, gives us purpose, we move into that arena. So stand with me. This should be our prayer. Stand with me, Lord. God, we, we hear your word. We're challenged by it. Sometimes we're convicted by the Spirit. We know we're intimidated sometimes by people we shouldn't be intimidated by. We know we stay silent when we should speak. Forgive us, Father. You're so good. You have a plan. It's way bigger than us. It reaches the whole world. Every nation, every people, every language, every tongue, every tribe will be around that throne one day worshiping Jesus. God, you asked the disciples to pray not for the harvest, but to pray for the workers to be sent into the harvest. So God, this is our prayer too. As Jesus taught his disciples, Father, you are the Lord of the harvest. You know how to bring about a harvest. We're reading about it here in the early church. Thousands of people at these harvest events. You know what you're doing. You bring healing. You bring restoration. All according to your perfect plan. But we know you're calling us to be workers in the harvest. And those workers have to know Jesus. They have to understand the power of the Spirit at work within them. They need to know the message of the gospel that salvation comes from no one other than Jesus. They need to have courage and they need to know how to pray in confidence and ask that you would make us bold. That you would make us bold. Only you can do this work. Only you can do miracles. They they prayed, stretch out your hand and heal and perform miracles and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Only you do these things, God. We don't do them. They're not about us. They're about Jesus, that he would be proclaimed as Lord and King of the universe. So Holy Spirit, hear our prayers. Meet us here in this place. Make us witnesses of who we have seen and who we have heard. Your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.